All right, I assume everybody's got a card by now. I want to see how well we're going to do on this tonight, okay? How many of y'all going to, how many of y'all study this at home? Y'all study this at home at all? I hope you'll try. Remember, you don't have to learn all of it at one time. So, if I say creation, you say? Genesis 1. Genesis 1, good. Flood. Wow, Genesis is good. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. Excellent. All right, let's do those first three. Creation. Genesis 1. Blood. Genesis 6 and 7. Okay. Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19. Okay. Joseph sold by his brothers. Genesis 3. Okay. Genesis 37. Okay. Genesis 30. That's all right. Let's do those four. Okay. Creation. Genesis 1. Okay. Flood. Genesis 6 and 7. Genesis 6 and 7. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. Joseph sold by his brothers. Genesis 37. And the 10 plagues we just sang about. Exodus what? 7 through 12. All right. Exodus 7 through 12. Let's do those five one more time. Genesis. All right, you're supposed to say everything, all right? All right, you ready? Creation. Genesis 1. The flood. Genesis 7. Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, Joseph sold by his brothers. Exodus. Genesis 37. Okay, and the 10 plagues. 7. Exodus 7 through 12. Now look, see how much y'all have learned already? See, if you want to learn all those and say them to somebody, then you can forget about those and learn the next one, see? And you'll get a trophy. This is our general Bible knowledge card, all right? It's our general Bible knowledge. Y'all are doing real well. All right. We've got almost 10 after, so let's ask our questions. What's true success in life? Hold it. Hold it. Part of success, though, is saying it together, right? So what's true success in life? Okay, what's true failure in life? And what's God's ideal for marriage? Okay. And why were you made? To glorify God. Okay. And I want you to say this like you mean it. What does that mean because that God made you? What does that mean? Okay, you don't ever forget that. You are special. All right. Tomorrow you don't have to go to school. But no. Even though you don't go to school, what are you going to do all day long? I will do my best. I will never give up. God take care of the rest. And I'll always remember that right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. It's never right to do wrong. It's never wrong to do right. And that's right because the Bible is right. Excellent. One, two, three. Jesus me. One and two, Jesus me. Three and four, he loves you more. More than you ever been loved before. Five, six, seven. Eight and nine is the divine. Now we sung right up to ten. We don't have time to sing it again. All right, we need to close out this session with a prayer. Then after our prayer, y'all can go and go to your classes, okay? Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the day. We're thankful for each one of these youngsters here. We're thankful not only for them, but for their families as well. Father, as we go through uh, our Bible studies tonight, may we recognize the fact that 
your word has all authority, and may we respect the things that we hear, and may we contemplate those things and apply them to our lives. Father, there are many on our minds that are sick right now, uh, folks that are near and dear to many people. And Father, we pray that you'd bless those that are sick and the things that are being done for them. Father, we also pray for those that are grieving over the loss of loved ones. May your hand of comfort and peace be upon them. Father, may we always be thankful for your son who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. So let me not be ashamed of my enemies. laptop, correct? Fantastic. It's good to see you tonight. I hope everyone is doing well and that we can study our Bibles for just a little while. Uh, turn to someone as we start, please, and say, I'm glad to see you. Now you have to mean it. And I can tell you do, and I'm glad that you do and that you are um, in Bible, that you're glad to be in Bible class. And I hope you've got your Bibles, and we're going to look at some things together. Um, let's, before we focus our thoughts with a word of prayer, let's think about a prayer list. And as we normally do, my mother, uh, Sue Hodgen, is in the hospital in Tupelo. She may get to come home tomorrow. She's dealing with some 
uh, infection and some things that uh, the doctor um, said she needed to, to have dealt with. And so uh, we are mindful. I hope you'll keep her in your prayers. Uh, of course, she was in the emergency room in a great deal of pain, insisting that she was fine. And I've already said enough about her, and she's probably listening, so I'm going to be quiet. I'll get in serious trouble. But remember her, and, and please. Who else do we need very quickly to put on our list? Um, Lindley. Lindley? RSV. Oh, okay. Lindley has RSV, and that is common in young ones, but never, and not something we want to mess with, so we would definitely remember Lindley in our prayer. Yes, sir. Grover Guns. J O H N S. Okay. Passed away, so remember his family. Oh, I thought you said that he passed away. Oh, gotcha. Okay, sorry. Uh, it's not, he's in serious condition. Okay. Jim Byron. Jim who? Byron. Yeah. Mower Belmont, eight, the second street. That's right. Yeah. He, uh, they have been, he and Ed been on the cruise, the last few cruise. He's back in. He's back to Humble, Texas, in the hospital with okay. blood pressure and heart issues. Now I'll do my best, but you understand that my my writing is atrocious and my spelling is worse. You know, some people will say to me, "Aren't you an English teacher?" And I say, "Yes, but that doesn't mean I can spell well." Uh, to spell well all the time. Uh, anybody else? Say that again. And Roberts, who is struggling with a serious uh, cancer situation. It's very encouraging that you think of others. You know, we have a long list of those in our family here that are on the sick list. Those who are chronic, those who struggle with recent events, those who continue to work, uh, be facing recoveries and surgeries and procedures and hardships and transitions and so many other kinds of things and just the struggles of every day that many of us face that we don't mention. And you know, I have learned, uh, I, I joke about my mom, but in all seriousness, there are many uh, and you know them, and some of you are them, who struggle just as much, but you keep things to yourself and you don't share it out loud. And we know those struggles are real as well, and that's okay. Um, we want to remember those. Let's bow. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are mindful of your goodness, your grace, your power, your mercy. We are thankful that you have given us this opportunity to come together to study your truth for just a little while. We are thankful that we are in the midst of those who not only love you, but have committed themselves to you and are committed to be your servants and students of your word. And as we tonight open your truth and focus our hearts and our thoughts on things that have to do with your kingdom and your truth and things that are taught and believe that are in opposition to that as we struggle 
to give your truth a voice. May we do so with humble hearts and ready minds. And I pray, according to your grace, your mercy, and your will, that you will give me the uh, train of thought to share the things that are in your truth and nothing more and certainly nothing less in a way that is understandable. And Father, as we close this prayer, we ask you in your mercy and will and to be with Sue Hodgen, be with Little Lindley, with Grover Johns and his family, with Jim Byron, with Van Roberts, and many more, Father, who are on hearts that we're not aware, but you're aware. But for these and those caring for them, we ask that you would reach out to them in accordance to your plan and your will and give them the opportunity to return to health, to find comfort, to find healing, whether that healing is on this side or the other side of eternity, and that always they would focus or they would look to you and we would look to you for not only our requests, but also with hearts filled with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Tonight as we open our uh, Bibles and we look into it a little bit, I want us to go back to where we were, and every time I want us to um, maybe do just a little bit of, there we go, a little bit of review, but not a great deal of review, not to rehash anything that we've already taught. But we are talking about, uh, of course, our overall theme, we are looking at some uh, denominational doctrines things that we're familiar with, that we have conversations with people about that are different from what we believe to be in the Bible. And so therefore, we're preparing ourselves, first of all, to know what the truth is, and then to discuss that truth with anyone who would discuss that truth with us. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, um, sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is within you, being able to talk about it. And so we came to lesson three then as we think about misconceptions, misconceptions regarding the Lord's church, error that... Uh, is found sometimes in the minds of those uh, with whom we work, with whom we associate, with uh, uh, even in family, and those about whom we care very deeply. So as we think about the Lord's church, and, and just a quick review, and we'll flip through this quickly, when we come to the idea of, of denomination, we, we define that. What we're talking about is when you hear the word, the different denominations, it is si simply a reference to those who are un under the umbrella of following God, under the umbrella of uh, following Christ, being Christians, and serving God through Jesus on this side of eternity and making their way toward eternity, but yet in a divided way because there are different names and different ideologies that, that put people into categories. It is those categories about which we are referring when we say denomination. And so that is the understanding. And with that in mind, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1, excuse me, 10 through 17, and we understand that when we read that passage, and that's what we read last, when we read that passage, 
we reach an obstacle. We reach a, a stumbling block of sorts or a, a block because there the Bible clearly teaches that there should not be divisions among those who are following Christ. And so therefore we have to say, wait a minute, let's back up and have a conversation. And so that brought us then to uh, our question that I said was your homework that we're going to talk about for a little while tonight. We'll go as far as our time will allow us to go. But what does the Bible teach regarding the church? If there was an area about which there are often uh, misunderstandings, areas about which there are often uh, disagreements and differences of thought process that are broken into these different categories of those who wear different names and those who do things in different ways, it comes oftentimes when it comes to understand my understanding or our understanding of the Lord's church. What does it mean to be church? What does church mean? What does the Bible say about church? And so let me stop right there and lay down a, a, a foundational comment that will guide the rest of this class. Uh, not just today. And that is, when I answer this question, what does the Bible teach regarding the church? I want to answer it with the Word of God. We're going to open our Bibles and explore and search for the answers to that question. Now, with that said, let me make sure you understand I am not going to begin saying, well, this is wrong. Or, or these people are wrong. Or this, I'd, I'm not doing that. But instead, what does the Bible say about church? About the church? And once we determine that, I started to say, once we figure that out, there's no figuring it out. Once I explore it, once I search for it, once I have found it and I have laid it out for all to see, then all one has to do, and remember, I'm teaching you from the perspective of as though you and I are having a conversation about you and I see we have differences under the topic of church. And so you and I are having a conversation. This is how I would approach you, or at least I pray that's how I would approach you. So rather than say, well, if you think this, it's wrong. If you think that, this is wrong. Don't take my word for that. Let's find out what the Bible says regarding the church, and then we'll have a common ground. Now understand, and I promise I am going to print these for y'all, but I'm warning us, so it, this is going to take us a little while. As you think about misconceptions and error regarding the Lord's church, first of all, let's answer that question. What does the Bible teach regarding the Lord's church? Well... It does teach several things. Number one, and by the way, you notice I put the little true-false emblem on the screen there because these are statements that I'm going to make that are typed on that screen that you have to decide based on the scriptures we read are true statements or false statements. If they're true statements, then they came from God. They're founded in God, God's truth. And based on what we've already studied, I can't change them. I can't manipulate them. I can't adjust them to suit me. In short, I can't mess with them. Okay? Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. I forgot to bring the 
Mike, hopefully this is going to do it. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now, what's interesting, I saw several people mouthing that verse. It's a familiar verse. Jesus said that because, or on the fact, on the bedrock reality, that I am the Son of God. Now, Jesus had not been crucified on the Roman cross uh, to fulfill prophecy and rise from the graves the third day in fulfillment of prophecy and raised to sit on the right hand of God where he's sitting right now in a position of authority. But we learned that last week, that God's truth is through Christ and it is authoritative because Jesus has been given that authority as the resurrected Son of God. And because of that, I accept his teaching. And it was Jesus who said upon this rock the fact that I am exactly who I said I am. That I will build my church and the gates of Hades, death, isn't going to mess with it. Death isn't going to stop it. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I would have loved to have seen. I wonder what it was right because we really don't get the idea. The, the rock, it was a boulder that was in front of that open tomb. That would have taken a, a bunch of people to budge that, to move that. I wonder what it would have been like to, to see that move on its own. But when that thing moved, this is surely, this is surely, you could hear the gates of Hades swinging open. The gates that swing open for nobody except for God. He said, upon that reality, I'm going to build my church. But then he said, and let me drop a kernel here for you to start chewing on. We're not ready for this point yet. But just to plant a seed for you about which you can think is that in verse 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loosed in heaven. I know Brother Ken addressed uh, this verse a little bit in a sermon not too long ago. But the idea there is not that whatever you do will accept. But the things that Peter and the apostles did because they were teaching, the, they were making disciples. Remember Matthew 18? I mean, uh, excuse me, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They were making disciples in the name and baptizing in the name of the, in the authority of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they were teaching them to observe all things, whatever Jesus had authorized, had taught. So when they did that, when people obeyed that, then what, what, what happened? Well, that was accepted. It was authorized in heaven. It had already been authorized by heaven. So when people obeyed, what did he do? He, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. I'll give you the keys that unlock the kingdom. The reason why I'm even bringing that up is that you do understand a doctrine we will get to before this class is over, Lord willing is the idea that the kingdom isn't here yet. That there will be a kingdom that will be set up when Jesus comes back and he will reign on earth in that kingdom, on a throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And we can't talk about that because we'll never get... That's later. But I want you to think about something. If that's true, just think about that. 
Included in that would be the church is a temporary. The church is temporary because the kingdom is coming. If that's true, if that's true based on these two verses, and you understand that when this was written, it was on a scroll. There was no 16. There was no verse 18, period, verse 19. It was one flow of thought. Upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That was an, so if that idea is true, then that has to mean that Jesus promised to build a church and then gave Peter the keys to something he could not open. Because you can't open the keys to something they didn't hear. He didn't have access to it if it's not here yet, but yet he carried the keys around. That makes no sense. It's not logical. And the Bible, if anything, is logical. So we're going to discover the church and the kingdom are the reference to the same thing. But we'll dig deeper into that. Look at Acts 2 and verse 47. Acts 2 and verse 47. So the reason why we read, go ahead and read Acts 2, 47, please. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Okay, now, if you're looking at Acts 2, let, let's take a look at that just for a second. We have spent some time in Acts 2 at the feet of Brother Ken as well. So I want you to notice something here. When you read in Acts 2 and you find in verse 37 or verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Spirit. All right, you read that. Now, what happened in verse 40? With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Y'all with me so far? Now, we're moving down to uh, what Brother Warner just read. So those who received his word, what word? The other words that he was saying, save yourself. The words that said, repent and be baptized. The words that said that you crucified this Christ. Let me tell you who he is. And now that I have, here's what you do. And he continued to preach that. And what they do? They received his word and what? Were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. Who were they? What's the antecedent of they? Who's the they in verse 42? 3,000. The 3,000, those who obeyed, right? If, I mean, please never think that any question is silly because in Bible study, we're letting God talk to us. We're listening. And it's important we hear what he says. Okay, you're right. Well, let's keep going. Um, and all came upon every soul. Now I go down to verse 47. Well, verse 46. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, who were those who were being saved? in being added to those who'd already been saved. Who were they? Well, the 3,000, and who were those on top of the 3,000? Those that obeyed. Those that obeyed. Daily. Those who believed, those who heard it, those who believed it, and then those who obeyed it. Now you're saying, well, duh. No, think about that. Is, does that, is that logical? That's what it says. Okay, now, who added to the church? Who? The Lord. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of, of hell shall not prevail against it. I hate these. And, and you, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. 
The keys were when he stood up and said, this is who Jesus is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name and by the authority of Jesus Christ. And with those many other words, he taught them the truth, God's truth, that you can't alter, that you, you can't change, you can't add to or take from. And when they believed it, they obeyed it, and the Lord added to them to the church. Now, did, have, have we read or have I said anything that wasn't... Now, since we're live streaming, I, I'm being a little more... I'm, I'm being very plain because I want it to be plain. Have I said anything that's not in the scripture? Yes or no? Okay. So true or false, Jesus built the church and only Jesus grants access to it. Yes, that's a true statement. It's a true statement because it's a scriptural statement. It's backed by scripture. So I want you to imagine I'm studying with someone. And I simply ask them that question. Well, yes. Okay, so in that context, and we're coming to some questions when we get to the end here, but in that context, there's no room for man's involvement in who can or cannot place membership in the church. There's no room for a, a voting system or an allowance system that, that manipulates membership. Membership, in fact, the idea of being a member of the church has to do with being a part of the body. That's where the, the idea of being a, a, a member anyway. We have to be careful that we don't think about membership as being a member of an organization, uh, of being a, a member. Um, uh, right now, I'm being sent invitations to be a member of the National Council of English Teachers. You know, join this National Council and learn all this good stuff. I'm, I'm almost too old to learn any new stuff. But, no, that's not true. But, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be a member of that or not. I was once upon a time. But that's an organization, okay? Be, be a member of, a, of the country club. Be a member of the Humane Society. Be a member. Pay your membership, uh, your dues. You do those kinds of things. But being a member of the church is not that at all. The Lord adds those who are saved to the church. That's what it says. Now let's learn something else about the church. Number two, let's turn to Acts 11 and verse 26. And when we read that verse, I'm going to admit some... Uh, In Acts 10, I'm sorry, Luther's over here quoting the verse. Wait a minute, Luther. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, read it. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, when I put that with, and you know I'm just kidding, Luther, right? But when I read Matthew 28, 19... I go back to that, I keep going back, because all of these verses are not verses on the list that we read that we say, okay, this verse proves my point here, let's move on. No, it's like a great tapestry. All of these things are interwoven with each other that show us God's overall truth, His master plan. In Matthew 28, 19, remember He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, go and make disciples. Go make disciples of all men. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. And when you do that, they're going to serve me. Now in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Acts 11, 26, they were called Christians first at Antioch. That, now, I will, let me admit a, a failing on my part. Um, I admit, I used that verse incorrectly for a long time. I used it incorrectly, Brother Jim, in a sermon. Uh, I meant well. I don't know that I, I taught error. I just showed my ignorance. Uh, because there is a passage that talks about, or, or I had a sermon. You know, I did that. I, I did the preacher thing where uh, I made up a really good sermon, I thought, and then found verses to fit my points. Uh, but it didn't fit quite like I thought, but I've learned so much more. In Acts eleven twenty six, I actually made the point. I said, okay, people need to see us living as Christians. They need to see us. In fact, Jesus said that, all men will know you're my disciples by the fact you love each other. And so I went there and I said, see in Acts eleven twenty six, the people watching the disciples saw them serving Christ and called them Christians. That falls way short of what that verse really means. And when someone pointed that out to me and I studied that word. Now, I don't think you do that justice or, or, or do it injustice to say people watching. But it wasn't the world that called Christian called those disciples Christians. Because that word called, they were called Christians first at Antioch. That word has a unique meaning. That Greek word has the idea of a royal messenger giving the message, a royal proclamation. So you say, what's that got to do with anything? It, it, wasn't, a, it, wasn't, a circ, it wasn't a happenstance that the world happened to say, oh, these are followers of Christ. Hey, let's call them Christians. Absolutely not. It was by God's design that God's design that they be called Christians. Christian is a God-given name to those who have been baptized into Christ, for those who've been added to the church, for those who are part of the body of Christ. It belongs to him, therefore I am a Christian because I belong to him. And that was God's design. Now look at, well, let's not go back to Matthew 16, 28. We just read it. Upon this rock I'll build, what? My church. Now, let me, if you'll forgive, uh, let me wax a little English teacher here because this is, I want to show you how beautiful the language is. Um, that The statement I should have read first is that Jesus built the church. Therefore, the church belongs to Christ and where's his name? Again, this is not a, well, here's, here's all the wrong, no. Does the Bible you believe number two is a good statement or an acceptable statement based on Scripture. Well, first of all, he'll build my church. What does the word my mean? It's not a trick question. His, Say that loud. What? His, his, what? Church. his church. His church. What does that mean? Ownership. Okay. My means ownership. Now, I promise I'm not trying to be silly here, but I want you to think about that just for a second. Okay, and I did this. Um, uh, it would be as silly, Tommy. Do you mind if I use you and Lynn as a, a as an example? I won't if you don't want me to. Now I want you to imagine, and I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm really trying to make a, a joke here. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm trying to make a point here. Sorry, but if I were to just say, 
But you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I've been thinking I kind of like the way that the, the Old Testament system worked. And, and uh, you know, in fact, he mentioned this morning, and it got me to thinking again, that Solomon had so many wives. And I've just been thinking that you're such an intelligent woman. From now on, you're going to be Lynn Hodgen. I hope the live stream doesn't quit here, because I will, you know. Imagine, you know, and Tommy's sitting over there. No, 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 Tommy, like, yeah, uh, well, I don't think so. But how ridiculous, I just, I think that would sound better. So how about that? Well, obviously, she's going to say, you need to stop talking pretty soon because you're digging a hole. Well, of course, because that's ridiculous. Why do you wear the last name Baragona anyway? Because you're Tommy's husband. I mean, (laughs) sorry, I knew. Tommy is your husband and you're his wife. And you think, well, are you making a point here? Actually, I am. To, to make the statement that, you know, I just think you should wear my name, or if you were to say, I'm going to wear somebody else's name, the world does that. The world just kind of makes it up as they go. And sometimes in the religious world, we kind of make it up as we go too, but we can't do that. You can't decide because Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given among men, uh, given under heaven among men, whereby you may be saved. And that is the name of... Jesus, the name of Jesus. So in Romans 16, 16, when, it, when he said, the churches of Christ salute you. If we look backward to the first century, we get the idea, well, he, well look at there. There's, there, there's a Bible authorization for a denomination, for a certain one anyway. No, uh-uh-uh. When you go back to the first century and look this way, look forward, none of those things existed. There was just the church that had been established in Acts 2, and Paul said the churches of Christ, those groups of people who are scattered all over Asia, all over the continent, all over the world, who are followers of Christ, they send you greeting. Now, why did he say the congregations of Christ? Why did he say the ecclesia of Christ? Why did he say the churches of Christ? Because they belong to him. 123 plus 118 is his body. That's right. To him, his name. That's right. That's number three. Uh, that's hey, number, yeah. yeah, you are helping me out because that, that literally is number three. And two goes with three, so I want us to make sure we do both because they go together. You see the understanding, and we're about to read when I go to, um, and I should have added it here, but here's a good, in Ephesians chapter 5. The church is described as the blank of Christ. Bride, okay? So, does the bride wear any man's name? The bride wears whose name? Her husband's. And Sister Lynn was such a... Forgive me if I overstepped and thank you. But was that not a ludicrous thought? Would you not be appalled if I were to suggest such a silly thing? Because it's unheard of. Why? Well, it's just not, it's not proper. It's not right. How is it right then for me to attach any other name to that which belongs to Jesus? Because if it, if it is my, well, if I go out tonight, Can I just pick any car in the parking lot and get in it? I guess I could. But even if I could start it, if I drove off in your car, I'd be 
stealing. If I drove off in Luther's car, it'd be stealing. Why? Why is it your car, Luther? God blessed you with it, but how are you establishing ownership? It's in his name. It is? What did you just say? The title's in his name. The title is in his name. We recognize that. The title has your name on it. Therefore, ownership is recognized by you. It'd be, you can't walk out there and say, I like the color, okay? Do I even want to know? No, okay. Uh, you can't do that, but you get that. Okay, now, you're thinking, why are you making those silly? Did you misunderstand that illustration? Absolutely not. Did you misunderstand that illustration about the car? Absolutely not. When you think about the church that Jesus not only built, he died for. Peter said that he, that's right, he purchased it with his, or Paul said, with his own blood. He bought it with his own blood. He built it through his own death, through his own sacrifice. It belongs to him. So whose name must it wear? His. When this whole thing is over, First Corinthians 15 and 24, he's going to deliver it up back to God too. That's right. He's coming to get it. And in First Corinthians 15 24, well, he has the right to come get it because it's his. Okay? And again, this is meant simply as a, so true or false, the church, Jesus built the church, therefore the church belongs to Christ. And where's his name? Is that a true statement? Yes. Okay. Number three. And I want us to look at these, and yes, that's a lengthy verse, so I want us to look at those together. Go with me to Ephesians 1 now. Now, this one, and this is what Luther said a minute ago, and it's a natural segue from what we just talked about. That's why it, was, it came quickly into your mind, because I'm sure a lot of others. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, no, chapter 1, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's do these together. Let's start with verse 15. And I want to read the whole passage because I want you to recognize something. And if you're a marker in your Bible, here are some things to mark. For this reason, verse 15, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of... Um, Glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Let this unfold in front of you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? There is a hope that we have. There is an inheritance that the saints have. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? There's that again. Back to Acts 2. Those who believed did what? They obeyed. They added to the church. Those folks are now called saints, according to verse 18. Those folks have that hope. Those folks have that immeasurable greatness of, of power toward them, according to the working of his great might. Wait now, that he worked in Christ. All of that comes through one avenue, Christ. When did this happen? When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all uh, rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet. So Jesus, see, understand all of the things that are important 
See, this is important, in my humble opinion, is because you begin to discuss with, hey, differences are okay. It's okay for us to kind of do our own thing because we all love, we're all serving Jesus. And it's okay as long as we're all serving Jesus. Now, I get the sincerity in that, and I don't doubt that sincerity, and I don't, I don't um, uh, uh, um, attack that sincerity. However, watch this. Watch this. He said all of these things that we have, this hope, this inheritance, come through the immeasurable greatness and power that God has shown toward us, but he worked that in Christ when he raised him from the right hand or from the dead and seated him at the right hand, gave him authority above all authority. Well, that's what the scripture says. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if there were any misunderstandings at all, put those to rest that God has put Jesus in complete and total charge and authority over that church that he built. And that's a scriptural fact. Now, with that in mind, let's put Colossians 1 with it. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 25. And we've got just enough time to accomplish what I want to do here. Colossians 1, 9 through 25, and we'll read this kind of quickly, and yes, that's a lengthy passage, but again, I'm doing it on purpose. I want you to start at verse 9 and hear all the things that God has done through Jesus to lead up to the verse we're looking for, beginning in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, that's Jesus that we've already talked about, that he's given all that authority to, and sat him above every name, given him power over all power, authority above every other authority. Now watch. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, watch this, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, let's stop right there. Understand this Jesus we're talking about. When you say Jesus is the head of the church, don't understand, you're not talking about just a position, a check mark. But Jesus, this Jesus in whom you and I have forgiveness through his blood, this Jesus who was, uh, who, by whom all the world was created, everything exists because of him. It is that Jesus who is the head of the cross or head of the church. And it's because of what he did on the cross that that's the case. And it is that Jesus who is head of the body which is the church. Okay, so the church is the body of Christ. Yes or no? Now, okay, this is important because when we get to number four, when you're, and again, you and I, you're talking to folks. When you get to number four and you read Ephesians 4 and verse 4, you want this established. Let's let the Bible establish it. I want to show you something. I want you to look at that. I have five minutes to do that. Look at that that's on the screen. That's from Colossians 1.18. And again, I want to show you, I don't want you to think, I'm going to prove something to you, I hope, that I'm not just saying this, well, he's an English teacher, he's got to show off. Uh-uh, I promise. Read that sentence. He is the head of the body of the church. If you and I, and let me just do this, if you think, well, that's just English, that's the English translation, you're just doing that because you teach English. Now, wait a minute, let me show you, do you see that? I'm not trying to impress you. That is a copy from a, a Greek lexicon. That's the Greek scripture. You see that's underlined in red? That's that verse right there. That's that phrase underlined in red. And I'm not going to, to point out and show you, but every one of those words, that uh, verse, those, that phrase is laid out exactly the same way in Greek that it is in English. And you say, what difference does that make? Let me show you. He is the head, period. Well, that doesn't tell me what I need. So I put of the body in parentheses because if I were teaching you in an English class, I would tell you that's a prepositional phrase. He's the head. Well, what head is he? He's the head of the body. That's what that phrase does. So there goes your red arrow. The word head goes back to the word he. He. I go back beyond that. We're talking about Jesus. We have been all the way down. That's why we read that. He is the head. He is the one who has the supremacy. He's the one who has the authority. He's the one who has every say-so, the first one, the middle one, and the last one. Okay, the head of the body. Now, but the church, I've been teaching this to try, show young writers an appositive. And a positive is, if you want to love, uh, if you grew up being taught the way I did, you've learned, uh, you have those grammar uh, rules embedded in your brain, even though they, they're not worth a whole lot, except you know how to write with them. But uh, the church, and a positive is a noun that sits behind another noun that gives you information about the first noun. See, that's why, imagine learning those. Okay, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Some of you having uh, 
Bad memories about grammar lessons, I'm sure. But wait a minute. Okay, watch. Now, let me show you this. He. I know it's Christ because I've already read, so I know it's Christ. Christ is the head. He's the authority. What head? Of the body. Now, the word church, by design, now understand, before you say, yes, but that's the English. The Holy Spirit is the one who designed it that way. The Holy Spirit, we just gave names to it, like a positive and preposition. It doesn't matter what you call it. The word church sits behind body. And the purpose of the word church behind the word body is to do just what that black arrow does and point back. He is the head. What kind of head is he of the body? If you, in case you don't know what body we're talking about, we're talking about the church. Now, that's simple. And, you know, we laughed, JT, about the time I said it from the pulpit. Uh, but the truth is, I, I, I kind of mean it when I say, if you study the Bible with me, you've got the dumbest teacher on planet Earth because I don't only know one way to look at it, and that's as simple as it gets. But the church is the body because of the way the language. And the body, uh, or he's the head of that body, and the he is Christ. So Christ is the head of the church. So the church is the body, yes or no? So that's a true statement. Now, we'll finish with this today, uh, and I'll just give you a little, little insight. Read Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses, and then we'll talk about what the answer to that, um, according to the gospel of Christ, there's only one body of Christ. And what implications is that going to have for us? Now again, these other three, those are statements made strictly through Scripture, right? We've said nothing outside of what's in the Bible. Would you agree with that? That's our goal. Thank you very much. Uh, let's have a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study. May we be diligent students to continue our study of your will, and may it always be something that glorifies you. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. You go out tomorrow, be careful. If you get out on the lake jet ski in Luther, be careful. Yeah, go on.